Uh, we're now going to turn to scripture and we're going to have our, our reading from the, the next section of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Our God, we thank you for gathering us together today to take a few moments now to look at your word and to do so encountering Jesus, the one that we most deeply need. And so now with this passage open in front of us, we ask for you to give us understanding, to give us insight, and also to give us transformation. We want to be changed as a result of what we see here today. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in a series here at Reality, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we've noticed that this is Jesus's most famous block of teaching, and arguably the most famous block of teaching from any historical figure ever. And so if you're here today and identify as a Christian, this is important for you because it's a reminder about discipleship what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the world today. If you're here and you are not a Christian, this is really important for you. Because on one hand, we're interacting with one of the most famous sets of teaching that the world has ever known, and so good to be informed. But also, if you're exploring Christianity, you get to hear from the very mouth of Jesus himself what's important about following Jesus in the world today. And so we've been working each week through the Sermon on the Mount, and today we come to what is perhaps the most misunderstood and the most misquoted part of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge. Have you ever heard someone say, don't judge me? And they're quoting Jesus. Well, there's teaching here that can be a little confusing and yet is absolutely vital if we're gonna take seriously the call to follow Jesus as his disciples in the world. And so today, we have four things to see. We have four points in our outline. Let me give you the outline, and then we'll work through each one. What do we see in this passage? We see a call to community, a call to balance, a call to self-examination, and a call to Jesus. So it's a call to community, balance, self-examination, and Jesus himself. Let's take a look. First, a call to community. Now, when Andrew just read these verses, what you may have seen is that Jesus is talking about navigating conflict in your community. Conflict comes up, how do you deal with it? But here is the very first thing that I wanna show you. It's a general point, but it's so crucial. And it's sort of a foundational assumption, not only of this passage, but of the whole Bible. And here it is. The call to discipleship is always at the same time a call to community. 
You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about what it means to follow him, what it means to be a disciple. And then he gets to Matthew 7, and he talks about you're going to have conflict in your community. Here's what you do. Well, it's an assumption then that being a follower of Jesus means following Jesus with other people. It's a call to community. Now, that's important, and we need to say it, because there have been moments in churches in history that have said following Jesus is mostly a private and personal experience. It's about you and Jesus, and so discipleship is reading your Bible or praying, and that's true, and that's important. But what Jesus is showing us here is discipleship is also public and communal. We follow Jesus together. To follow Jesus means to be in a community of people that are following him. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about community. Community is beautiful. Community is mysterious. Community is a witness to the world. Lots that the Bible says about community. But today, what I want to show you is community is also hard. Community is imperfect. Community is often very messy. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have said to me, I love Jesus, but I don't really like the church. For some, there's relationships in the church or to the church that are really difficult. And let me just say, some of you have experienced firsthand hurt, even betrayal, inside of a church. And when that happens, it's very destabilizing. It can be very shaking. And so I don't want to minimize that pain or minimize how hard community can be. But here's what I also want you to see. If a community is never messy, it's probably not a real community. Think about it. If the purpose of a community, if the purpose of the church is to come and to bring your whole self to this place, then of course it's going to be messy. Because you're messy. I'm messy. We're broken people. And Jesus recognizes that whatever else community is going to be, if you get a whole bunch of broken people who come together, there's going to be imperfection. It's going to be hard. Now, Jesus, in a second, I'm going to show you, is going to give us an incredible resource for how we navigate some of that mess, how we navigate some of that conflict. But even before we get there, all we're trying to say is this, the call to discipleship is a call to community. And sometimes being in community is really messy and it's really hard. But that's one of the signs that it's actually a genuine community because we're broken and messy people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I've quoted before in this sermon series, has a wonderful little book called Life Together. If you've never read it, maybe a good summer read. But Life Together is his own experience of what it was like to live in Christian community. And he thought very carefully about this subject. I love the book because it's not just a sort of academic reflection. It's his lived experience of doing life together with other Christians. And he said that in his experience, he noted that lots of times when people join the church and the joining Christian community, they start off with these really grand ideals. Oh, I can't wait to be at church. Everybody loves Jesus. They dress so cool. Everything's going to be so great. Everybody's going to be so warm and sweet. And they have these really idealized visions and dreams of what Christian community is going to be like. And then they actually get there. And they realize it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. And Bonhoeffer says in his book, a community which cannot bear and survive the mess 
and insists upon keeping its illusion of perfection, it loses in that moment the real promise of Christian community. He who loves his dream of a community more than that community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Now, let me just say one more thing before we move to the next point, but this is so key. We have dreams, perhaps, of what this community could look like, but then the reality shatters it. And Bonhoeffer will go on to say in his book, that's actually the moment of glory and beauty. Because it is the reminder that not only do we bring our whole selves into this community, broken and all, but it's precisely in that moment of mess that we experience Jesus most clearly. Because we realize that Jesus is the one who holds our community together. It's not our strength, it's not our ability, it's not even the strength of our friendships, it's Jesus himself who keeps us together as a community. And so Bonhoeffer will go on to say, the very hour of our disillusionment with the community becomes beneficial because it thoroughly teaches us that none of us can live by our own words and deeds, but only by the word and deed of the one who truly binds us together, the very forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. That's point one. The call to discipleship is a call to community, and community is going to be hard. It's going to be messy, but it's in that mess that we actually break through to real community. Now, what I love about this passage is not only does Jesus remind us about the importance of community, but he says in the midst of the hardship, I'm going to give you a tool to navigate conflict well. I'm going to give you a tool for how to be a healthy community, even in the midst of the hardship. And the first part of that tool is balance. Balance. This passage is remarkably balanced. Look with me again at verse 1. Jesus says, do not judge. Then go down to verse 6. And Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, I'm going to unpack all of that in a minute, but let me give you the overview of what I mean by balance and then we'll spend a few minutes looking at it. Here's the balance that Jesus says. In your community, don't be hypercritical, but do be a little critical. That's the balance. Don't be hypercritical, but do be a little critical. And so let's take a look and see what Jesus means with those two verses as our guide. So first, don't be hypercritical. That's what verse one is all about. Do not judge. What does Jesus mean? He doesn't mean, he can't mean, never make any judgments. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to live in this world blind to what's happening around you, never making any evaluations about the people around you or the things they do. You know that because the Bible claims that people are meant to be discerning. For example, in the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle will say, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Well, how do you even know it's evil and good unless you make a judgment, unless you discern, unless you evaluate? So judge not does not mean never analyze. What does it mean? It means don't be condemning. Don't be condemning. Here's the difference. Discerning, evaluating, that's like analyzing a person's actions. But the kind of judgment that Jesus is warning against, the kind of condemning that he's teaching against, is when you don't just discern a person's actions, but you dismiss a person. You actually dismiss the person. 
And what Jesus is saying you ought not to do. So here's an example. Let's say someone has lied to you. Someone has really taken advantage of you and lied to you. Now, if that happens, you have a right to be angry. You have a right to feel betrayed. You have a right even to call that person out. And you can say, you lied to me, and this is how it hurt. And you might even need to set up real boundaries in that relationship. All of that is important and healthy. But if you go a little farther and say, yeah, that person lied to me, and now they are a liar. That's the only way I see them. They're just a liar, and I hate them. And I hope terrible things happen to them. Well, that is a sign that you're moving in the direction, not just of evaluating and discerning, but condemning. Actually taking the place of God in pronouncing final judgment upon a person. And Jesus says, that's the thing that I don't want you to be doing. Why? Because it's actually dangerous for your own heart. You see, remember, the Sermon on the Mount is about not just our actions, but the attitudes of our heart. And Jesus knows that a person who's condemning a person who's judging in a final and in an ultimate sense, a person who dismisses people and not just discerns their actions, that heart is in danger of self-righteousness, of smugness and superiority, of thinking yourself always above and better than everyone else. And Jesus says, that's really dangerous. Don't judge like that. Because when you do and when that's present, your heart is in danger. Quickly, before we move on, a couple of diagnostic questions you can ask yourself to know if this kind of judgment is present in your own life. First, are you hypercritical? Some people are critical, and that can be a good thing. I need criticism. Maybe you do too. We need people to come into our life and say, when you said that, I know you probably didn't mean it, but here's how we took it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We need criticism. We can always do better. We have blind spots, absolutely. Criticism is a gift. But someone who's hypercritical is someone who likes giving criticism for its own sake. You can walk into any situation and find something that's wrong. And Jesus says, if that's happening in your heart, that might be a sign that there's some smugness and superiority, hypercritical. Another diagnostic question, do you rejoice when bad things happen to another person. Maybe it's inward, maybe it's secret, maybe you never tell, but inside, when you hear bad news about someone, you're like, yes, finally they got it. Finally they had what's coming to them. Jesus would say, that's a self-righteous heart that's condemning, that's dangerous. Another diagnostic question, are you too eager to offer your opinion on subjects that you know absolutely nothing about or when no one has asked you for it. If you feel like you've always got something to say about everything and you're kind of right all the time, that might be a moment to say, maybe there's some self-righteousness going on that I need to pay attention to. You see, that's the kind of condemning, hypercritical attitude that Jesus says should not be present in the life of his disciple. Judge not. But now let's get the balance. Because when you come down to verse six, we see the other side of the pendulum. And what does Jesus say? Don't give dogs what is sacred and don't throw your pearls to pigs. Now that's a very complicated verse in terms of its historical background. By the way, dogs and pigs back then were not what they are today. People didn't have pet dogs. Dogs were wild, vicious animals. And pigs in a first century Jewish context, they're unclean. 
They're animals that you have nothing to do with. And Jesus is saying, don't give precious things to people who won't value it. A dog and a pig is a person who's, who's willful in their evil, obstinate in their rebellion to God. And Jesus says, don't give them sacred, precious things. Be discerning. Here's what Jesus is saying in verse 6. You need to make judgment calls. You need to be able to look out into the world, and when you see evil, you need to be able to call it out. You need to be able to say, that's wrong. That's injustice. That's unkindness. And you need to be able, as a Christian, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, to stand for the good, to stand for the right, often to stand with the oppressed. So do you see what Jesus is doing? <laughs> Verse 1, don't be condemning. Verse 6, don't be naive. Don't be gullible. Be people who can call evil out. Be people who can spot injustice and stand with the oppressed. You take all that together and what's Jesus saying? I want you to be a balanced community that on one hand isn't condemning, but on the other hand is able to really spot evil and is able to see where people are willfully ignoring and rejecting God and his purposes in the world and be able to call it out. Now here's why this is a challenge. This balance that Jesus is presenting, don't be too critical, but do be a little critical. It's hard for us because temperamentally, most of us are on one side or the other. So some of you here today, you love telling people how it is. You are a truth teller and you're actually quick to judgment, but you're very slow to be gracious. And Jesus would say to you, don't judge, don't be condemning. But there are others of you, and my guess in a church like ours, probably more of you in this side of the camp who say, oh, it wasn't a big deal. They didn't mean it in such a bad way. And you're always trying to give the benefit of the doubt. You don't want to rock the boat. You want to keep the peace. And Jesus would say, no, don't give dogs what is sacred. You need to be a little discerning. And so Jesus temperamentally is challenging us to be a balanced community that isn't condemning but is discerning. How do we do that? Well, that's the next part of the tool, self-examination. The key to being a community that's balanced is if the people in that community engage in self-examination. How do you do that? I love this. Jesus is saying, I don't want you on this side. Don't judge. I don't want you on this side. Too accepting. I want you somewhere in the middle. Well, how do we get that? You look in the middle of the passage. Jesus is a brilliant teacher. And in verses 3 through 5 of this passage, Jesus gives us an outrageous illustration. I'm going to just tell it to you but it's there in the text. In the illustration, Jesus says, imagine a friend of yours has a speck of sawdust in their eye. You've had that, right? You get an eyelash in your eye, maybe a little tiny piece of something, and you kind of feel it, it kind of bothers you. Maybe you say to a friend, hey, do I have something in my eye? So that's happening in the passage. A speck of sawdust is in someone's eye. And in the illustration that Jesus gives, a friend walks over and says, let me help you with that. But that person wanting to give help actually has a plank, a big piece of wood sticking out of their eye. Actually impossible. And what Jesus is saying is, how ridiculous would it look if you said, hey brother, you've got a tiny speck, let me help you, when you've got a two by four sticking out of your face. And Jesus says, that's what you look like whenever you try to correct and challenge another person 
without first looking in the mirror. That's how ridiculous you look whenever you engage in confrontation and challenge without self-examination. Because Jesus will go on to say in the passage, look in the mirror and take out the plank first. And then you'll be able to remove the speck from your brother, your sister's eye. Now here's what Jesus, and this is such an important practice, such an important part of Christian life, that we actually look in before we look out in judgment. And so in your relationships, it could be a friendship, someone in your family, someone inside the church, there are moments and there are needs when our friends truly have a speck of sawdust in their eye. And it's actually a good and a right impulse to want to move towards them to help. But Jesus says the only way you're going to do that in a helpful way is if you first look in the mirror to make sure you don't have a plank. And that means asking the question, are there any ways that I'm actually guilty myself of the very thing that I'm going to challenge them about? And also asking the question, what's my real motivation here in wanting to challenge them, in wanting to confront them? Is it for their good? Or is it so I can feel a little bit better about myself? You see, that's the mirror of self-examination. And what Jesus is saying is real Christian community requires people to look in the mirror even as they walk and serve others. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor here in London about 60 years ago. And before he became a pastor, he was a medical physician. And so when he read this verse, he realized something that I thought was just brilliant. He says, you know, as a doctor, we do all kinds of things, but one of the things he noticed is that the eye is the most sensitive part of the body. Have you noticed that? If you go near anyone's eye, what happens? You close your eye, you blink, you kind of recoil. How do you get a speck of sawdust out of a person's eye? You need a soft and a precise touch. Can you do that if you have a two-by-four sticking out of your own face? You can't. And what Lloyd-Jones would go on to say, if we're going to be the kind of community that's actually helpful to each other, we have to have softness and precision. We need to be gentle and compassionate. Well, how do you be gentle and compassionate as you confront others? It's by first confronting yourself. The humility that comes from self-examination the humility that recognizes I am guilty of these things too. Maybe not the exact same sins or struggles, but look at all the stuff in my own heart. And Lloyd-Jones would say, only after you engage in that self-examination do you have enough humility and brokenness to be able to actually help a brother or sister. Only wounded healers can heal. Only wounded healers can heal. The best verse in the Bible summarizing this principle is Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Restore them, but do it gently. A soft and a precise touch. Self-examination before confrontation. That's the principle. So Jesus says, yes, a call to community is part of discipleship. Be balanced. Engage in self-examination. Well, how do we do that? 
How do we become a community that's actually courageous enough to look in the mirror? It's hard to look at our own heart. And when you look at your own heart, sometimes you see things that you'd rather not see. Stuff that you don't want anyone else to be aware of. So how can we be a community that actually engages in self-examination? And the answer, the final point of our sermon, is we need Jesus. This passage is a call to Jesus himself. Let's be honest. We do not live in this balance perfectly. Some of us are way too gullible and naive. We just accept everything and everyone, and we never want to confront. And that's, that can be sinful. We're afraid to challenge. On the other hand, there are some of us who are way too condemning and judgmental. We're always writing people off. We're always just telling it how it is, quick to win an argument and lose a relationship. We do not get this balance perfectly. We need Jesus. We need forgiveness. Because who is Jesus Christ? Think about it. He's the only person who ever struck this balance perfectly. He's the only one who could actually say to another person, hey, you've got a speck of sawdust in your eye, and he never had a plank. He perfectly was able to exercise truth and love, grace and justice. He did this throughout his life. Do some of you remember the story in John chapter 8? There was a woman who was caught in a compromising situation. And there were a bunch of people around, and they all had big planks in their own eye. And they brought this woman to Jesus very judgmentally. And they brought this woman to Jesus in a very compromising act. What do you think we do? And Jesus, in an act of incredible gentleness, like the perfect surge, apply. But he starts writing on the ground. We don't know what he was writing. But one by one, this woman's accusers leave. And eventually, they're all gone. And now Jesus looks to this woman and says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Now, what is that? Is Jesus ignoring sin? Is he minimizing evil? No, he is the one who came not bringing judgment, but to bear it. Jesus came into the world not to condemn, but to save. Jesus came into the world as the perfect judge who would be judged for you. That's what happened on the cross. The Lord Jesus is the judge judged for you. And on the cross, Jesus takes all of your sin, all of your planks. He takes it all upon himself, the only one who never had them. And he bears it on his shoulders. He dies as your substitute. He dies in your place. And what does that do? It gives you a whole new identity in which Jesus says, on one hand, you have a lot of sin and shame and stuff that needs to be forgiven, but you're also loved to the sky. What's Jesus doing? Love and truth, grace and justice. The cross is the perfect embodiment of the balance that Jesus is calling us to. And that's how God and Jesus move towards you. If that's your identity, if, you rec- if your identity is rooted in the cross of Jesus, the fact that you were both loved and sinful, broken and glorious, If that's your identity, then what happens? 
you become a person who can actually live in community in a balanced way. We become a church, we become a community in which we can both lovingly challenge and confront others, but also be really quick to show grace. Why? Because we have the courage now in Jesus to look in the mirror and engage in self-examination. Earlier I mentioned Lloyd-Jones. In his sermon on this passage, here's what he said. Once you've applied the gospel to your own life, once you've seen what Jesus has done for you, then there's only one thing that matters, that you should be humble, that you should be sympathetic, that you should be so conscious of your own sin and your own unworthiness that when you see it in another, far from condemning, you actually feel like weeping. And you are full of sympathy and compassion. You really do want to help. See, that's the kind of community we can be. And let me just say, brothers and sisters, as we prepare now to come to sing and the Lord's table, there are lots of specks of sawdust that are floating around. And life is hard. What an incredible thing it would be if we could help each other. If we could say, that must really hurt. That must be a behavior or a habit that you're really not proud of. Let's walk together. We need that. But we cannot do it unless we deal with the planks in our own eyes. And the only way to deal with those planks is to see Jesus bearing them for us. And so today is a call to Jesus. It's a call to the grace and the love that is in Jesus, which deals with the planks in our own eyes, which helps us be a balanced community. Let's encounter Jesus now. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the teaching that you've given us from Matthew chapter 7. And as we come now to this time of response, as we prepare for the Lord's table, God, we ask that you would give us such confidence in the presence of Jesus with us that we would be courageous enough to look in the mirror, that we would hear him say you are loved and sinful, you are safe and broken, and that in so doing, we would be transformed to be a people that can actually lovingly walk with others. Lord, do this work by your spirit. Transform us even now, we pray, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.